Some of you remember the 80s and the 90s. There was a bracelet that so many people would wear, particularly young people, but then even older people were wearing it. Some of you remember that? W, W, there you go. Well, what would Jesus do? That was stood for. A wonderful concept, a wonderful reminder. It's a great witnessing tool. Some enterprising marketers, however, turned this well-intentioned concept into a fashion and became fashionable. And lots of people were wearing their bracelet, WWJD. So much so that a lot of people were wearing it and didn't have a clue what it stands for. (laughs) In a very similar way, in the Old Testament, that was the same thing. People in the Old Testament were given by God what the greatest commandment is. And the greatest commandment summarizes all of the Ten Commandments. Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're not going to break the first five. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to break the second five. So the summary of the entire Ten Commandments in that great commandment that the Scripture gave to the people in the Old Testament. Just like modern young people who did not know what this WWJD means, they recited the great commandments. They have a clue what it means. They never understood the commitment of what it means to love God with all your heart. (laughs) The Jewish people at the time wore that great commandment on their wrist. Since people were wearing watches, they wore it on their wrist. They wore it on their forehead, particularly the pious ones. They nailed it to the post of their doors. They call it the mezuzah now. They still do it. Now, I have a dear friend, a Jewish friend, doesn't believe a thing, but when he comes to his house, he kisses it and touches it. This is a great commandment, supposed to contain the great commandment. It was known in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the Shama. Can you say that with me? Shama. The word Shama means, in Hebrew, means hear or listen. Not just hearing with the ear, I mean really intently listen or hear very carefully. And so the Shama, the reason is to call it the Shama is because the first word is hear or listen or Israel. Shama or Israel. Shama. Listen closely. Listen carefully. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you, <laughs> if put it in my vernacular. Listen, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The Jewish children memorized that Shama <laughs> the moment they learned to talk. <laughs> as soon as they say, Mommy and Daddy, they learned the Shama. By the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, the rabbis have demanded that all Jewish men must recite the Shema twice a day. Twice a day. Yet, like the kids who are wearing <laughs> what would Jesus do bracelet, they didn't have a clue as to the depth of that commandment means. The vast majority of the Jewish folks in the time of Jesus, they recited it, 
but their lives were far away from loving God with all their might, with all their strength, and with all their heart, and with all their mind. Twice a day they would recite it. Twice a day. Had to recite it. They placed it on the doorstep. And every time they came to the house, they kissed it. The mezuzah. And yet, their lives were far from loving God, let alone with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind. Evidence? When the Messiah arrived, who prophesied in every book of the Old Testament, His coming, His coming, His coming, details about His birth, death, and resurrection. When the Messiah arrived, according to their book, they rejected Him. What was happening is this. What they were saying with their lips, they were denying with their life. What they were proclaiming publicly, they were denying in practice. This was happening today. It's happening today. And I'm going to ask you now to turn, please, in your Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 32 to 39. The context of this passage, and you see that very clearly here, is that the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, that they believed in life after death. When they saw that the Sadducees, these are your liberals, do you get that? Just think about them this way. They are sad, you see, (laughs) because they did not believe in the resurrection. They said, once you die, you die, and that's it. In many ways, there are a lot of Sadducees around. So the Sadducees were coming to try to trick Jesus to say something to support their argument that there's no life after death, that there's no resurrection. And Jesus just blew them away. And so the Pharisees kind of thought to themselves, they said, you know, these liberals, they could not argue with Jesus like we can. We know the Bible. We have the rabbis teaching about the Bible. We memorized all these things. We will know how to get him. The Sadducees failed because they don't know their Bible as well as we do. And now, let us trick him. Let's really get him, because the Sadducees couldn't. And so they figured that if anyone can be a match for Jesus to trick him, to trap him, to say something that makes the crowd go against him, if anyone can do that, it's a lawyer. <laughs> lawyers. <laughs> you see, the lawyers back then were distinguished from the church leaders. They really were. were separate. And they were actually considered to be more honest than the religious leaders. <laughs> However, this particular lawyer that they have chosen to go against Jesus, debating Jesus, really was not very honest. I'm going to tell you why. He allowed his clients, the Pharisees, <laughs> to use him to trick Jesus. So, at best, he had duplicity mixed with a measure of sincerity. Let's give him his due. But you have to understand, to the Pharisees, Moses is about as high as you're going to get. There's no one, not even Abraham. I mean, Moses was it. No greater 
than Moses. After all, he spoke with God face to face. After all, he was handed the Ten Commandments by God Himself. After all, he delivered their ancestors from the slavery of Egypt. After all, he has done some great things, and he was considered to be the humblest man ever walked the earth. So the Pharisees are putting hope against hope that Jesus would teach something contrary to Moses, contrary to the Old Testament, contrary to the Scripture. Even though earlier in his ministry, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, early on, he has told them again and again and again that he did not come to abolish the commandment, he came to fulfill them. Nonetheless, they still want to trap him. They want to trap him teaching something contrary to the Old Testament. A lot of people want to ditch the Old Testament. But Jesus never taught anything contrary to the Old Testament. Just remember that. But they wanted to trap him so that they can get the crowd to turn against him. What was Jesus' response to their trickery, to their trick question? (laughs) What is the greatest commandment? Without a moment's hesitation, the Lord turned to his Bible, to their Bible. Leviticus repeated in Deuteronomy 6, 5, affirmed again and again, the Shema. Say it with me again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Today I'm going to focus on loving God with your mind. In the next couple of messages, I'm going to deal with the others. Why am I beginning with the mind? Because loving God with all your mind, not just with your mind, with all your mind means that you love God with your intellect, that you love God with your intelligence, that you love God with a determination and a commitment And not as they were doing back then, and only loving God with their words, loving God with their rituals, but not with all of the totality of their being. Loving God with all of your mind means that it is not what you can get from God, or what you can gain from God, or what you can receive from God, but what you can give back to God in response to His love for you. To love God with consuming love, and to love God with all-consuming love is to obey His Word. It's to obey Him unconditionally. It's not to go for a smorgasbord where I like this thing, and I like that part, and I like that one, I don't like this, and I like this, and I'm going to obey here, but not going to obey here. When this particular lawyer whose clients, the Pharisees, were trying to get him to trick Jesus, to expose him as an imposter, as somebody who's contradicting their Bible, they're contradicting their Old Testament, contradicting Moses. So he comes to ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And they're literally waiting for him to say something that is contrary. Jesus did not give them anything new. Nothing new. He did not give them something that they've never heard before. He did not try to mesmerize them with some dazzling new fads or newfangled ideas. No. What Jesus said to the lawyer, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind. That's what I'm focusing on today. With all your mind. Why? Why with all your mind? Listen to me, please. Because love, not the junk that you hear in television and movies, real love, true love, godly love, biblical love, must begin, continue, and then end in death with commitment. Marriage, listen to me, beloved friends, and this is the core of our problems and the difficulty of our problems that we're seeing in our culture today, because in marriage, the very core of husband and wife love for each other is commitment, ironclad commitment. Why? Because physical attraction will fizzle out, because physical health can fail, possessions can make wings and fly and disappear overnight. Emotions go up and down. Feelings is mercurial. Uh, Strength can diminish. Ah, but ironclad commitment should not. And when you love Jesus with all your mind, it is a determination that nothing will distract you. Nothing will distract you. Loving Jesus, with all your mind, means He's first and foremost. He's first and foremost. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. In the 80s and the 90s, there were a lot of Christian motivational speakers. They were giving speeches in churches and in conferences and conventions, and they were writing books how to order your priorities, how to order your life, and how to… And every one of them basically would agree that this is four priorities, and they must follow in this order. God, family, work, church. God, family, work, church. Can you see anything wrong with that? No. But I want to tell you, I failed miserably. I tried to do that, and I failed miserably. So the other people that I knew. (laughs) I'll tell you why I failed miserably, and so was everybody else for that matter. (laughs) First of all, I realized it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. Because we are physical. We're physical, right? And what catches our physical eyes, what is visible to us, is going to grab our attention. And I can say, God, family, all that stuff, a million times ain't going to make any difference because I am being immediately focused on what's in front of me, what my eyes can see. That's what occupies my priority. That was, is the focus of, of my love. Finally, as I went to the Lord and in utter desperation, literally I was weeping before God. I said, I'm failing every time. And God did not destine us to failure. And I realize the image the Lord gave me at the time is that of an axle of a bicycle. Think of a bicycle tire. Just think of it this way. If my love for Jesus is the axle, <laughs> every other love, the spoke that comes out of that, to go out, in and out, and in and out of that tire, 
Everything is ordered around that love for God. All other loves revolve around my love for God. Jesus is the hub around which all my life's priorities, all my love's priorities emanate from and goes back to. Jesus is the center of all my other loves. Hear me right, please. Because otherwise, God will always get the short end of the stick. You know I'm telling you the truth, right? What will God get? He will get the leftover. He will get the crumbs. But loving God with my mind, it means that He gets the first fruit of the day, not the rotten fruit at night when I'm tired. It means that He gets the first fruit of my money, not the leftover. It means that He gets consulted and His will is sought before I embark on any ventures or any ideas or any vision, instead of jumping ahead of Him, which I've done before, and failing miserably, and cry out to Him, God, get me out of this. Jesus made it very simple. If you love me, you obey me. You love me, you obey my word. You're not going to pick and choose. Obeying requires a decision of the mind. The determination of the will is why we say, make up your mind. (laughs) Make up your mind. It is a determination. In fact, the word decision is cutting that you're deciding for one thing over against the others, rejecting all the others. In the next message, I'm going to show you how to love Jesus with your imagination of your soul. But I started with the mind because it's vitally important. Because if your will is in gear and ready to go, all of the other things are going to fall in place. I'm aware, only too aware, that our past failures are like chains that will hold us back and keep us from going in our love for Jesus. I know that experientially. And that is why, as I bring this message to conclusion, I plead with you, just listen to me, please. In fact, I remember reading a story, and that reminded me of my spiritual condition. And the story about an elderly gentleman who was having trouble with his memory, with his past memories— And he really went to get checked with the doctors, experts who examined him. And they came to the conclusion, we can operate on you, but if we fix that memory part of your brain, there is a danger of impairing your eyesight. The decision is yours. The choice is yours. Would you rather be able to see or remember? I remember reading that and have left an indelible mark on me in the struggle that I was going through at the time. The man's immediate response was as follows. I would rather have my eyesight than my memory any time. I would rather see where I'm going than remember where I've been. And I said, spiritually speaking, that's me. That's me. Spiritually speaking, 
It works the same way. And back then I made up my mind that I will not allow past failures, I will not allow past sins, I will not allow past misery, I will not allow past hurt, I will not allow past bitterness to hold me back from growing in my love for Jesus with all my mind. And I appeal to you to do the same. Let the past be the past. It will be pleasantly surprised. I promise you, you'll be pleasantly surprised of how much God will use you. When you let the past be the past, and you focus your attention, your mind, your will, your desire on loving Jesus and growing in your love for Jesus, you will be amazed at what you will accomplish for Jesus. Things that you thought impossible. Let me tell you something. I could write a book on how many things that God has opened doors and done things that many people have said to me is impossible. And I will say to them, the devil already told me that. But I serve the God of the impossible. But it all begins with a determination of the mind that you're going to love God with all your mind. Say that with me. With all your mind. Why? Because that honors God. That honors God. And when you honor God, He honors you back. That's very biblical. I honor those who honor me, says the Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.